0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Uh, The subject of uh, our discussion, uh, what we wanna look at together this evening is uh, abounding grace. And in looking at abounding grace, as uh, we know that the theme of the camp is about grace and the dispensation of grace. I wanna explore one particular aspect of grace particularly a Bible definition that doesn't really often get uh, emphasized. Now, there are many ways that the word grace is used, and there are many meanings for the word grace. Uh, For example, before we eat, we say grace, right? And uh, we are admonished in the scriptures to grow in grace. And uh, we also are called to be ministers of grace, Some people have a problem with what they call cheap grace, and uh, we are to ask for grace. So every time we use that word, there's different shades of meaning and different things that we intend. And so it's one of probably the most often used words in Christianity, grace. We talk a lot about grace. I don't know if you've ever stopped to actually think, what does grace actually mean biblically? And more importantly than just defining words, what does it mean practically? So we want to explore some time, uh, we want to spend some time exploring one particular facet of grace that has a very, very practical aspect to it. That's what we want to uh, that's what we want to do today. And uh, there's many, many things that uh, that have to do with grace. You know, someone uh, put it really well. You know, if I were to ask you as a Christian, how would you define grace? If you were to talk to a non-Christian, They they don't know these terms that we use, what they mean. How would you define it to someone? Someone came up with a very uh, clever and interesting definition. As an acronym, grace would be uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. You might have heard of that one. That's a pretty popular one. A very good and fitting one. Uh, But uh, how would you define it? And how does the Bible... Uh, actually define it. One of the most popular definitions that most of you probably answer with is that grace is unmerited favor, right? Unmerited favor or undeserved favor. Very good the definition. Excellent. Uh, but what does it practically mean? We want to explore uh, that a little bit today. So that's, that's our goal, where we want to reach. In the scriptures, we find that there are actually two kinds of grace. And we find that there are different levels or measures of grace. The first kind of grace is uh, what we would refer to as common grace. And it's mentioned in a number of places. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 5, 45. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to them. That's great. I've got the verses on the screen for those who don't have the Bible and just to speed our progress a little bit. So Matthew 5, 45, what Jesus taught when it comes to that. He says that he may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and send a on the just and on the unjust. There's something here that God does for everyone regardless of whether they are good or bad, right? This is an aspect or this is a demonstration of God's grace. Something that is undeserved that is given, a blessing that is bestowed, it is something that is undeserved. Uh, the reason why... I'm referring to it as common grace is because there is no differentiation. There is no uh, qualification. A person does not qualify to get rain. It's not, God doesn't send rain to only good people. Uh, in Luke, it is, it's actually spelled out a little bit clearer. Luke 6.35, uh, Jesus says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. This is an aspect of God's character. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Something we could learn from on a practical level of what it means to be a Christian because this is what Jesus is saying. You you need to be like your father in heaven. This is what he does. He's actually kind to evil, unthankful people. That's people who don't deserve kindness. So it's something that is not merit. This common grace is really what provides us, everyone, with, with probationary life, with the blessings of, whether it be food, shelter, family, work, means, health, all these things come under this umbrella of God being kind to the undeserving, because everybody gets that, to differing measures, so there are different, differing degrees of this common grace, it's not exclusive, everybody gets it, and, uh, Like I said, it's something we can definitely learn about uh, when it comes to how we can be children of the highest because that's why Jesus is actually sharing that. Uh, That's this aspect of grace, common grace. Then other uh, grace that is more commonly talked about and referred to in the scriptures is saving grace. And of course, the the verse that we know very well that talks about that is Ephesians 2.8 that says, we're saved that way. By grace, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This grace is not a common grace. This is a specific exclusive grace only to which kind of people? Those who exercise faith. Thank you. Those who exercise faith because you can, you can access that grace through faith. So in order to receive this grace, you have to have faith. You exercise faith and you receive this grace. And this grace is a saving grace. And that's where we want to spend a little bit more time tonight to discover what that practically means for us. Is it important? It is very important. It's something many times when we share something with people, uh, you know, a particular truth or an understanding of scripture, this is a question many times people will ask. Well, hold on, brother. Is this a salvational issue? And that's their way of trying to gauge whether this is something worth their time or this is just some understanding that's not really relevant. Say, is this a salvational issue? Okay, this here, this topic tonight is a salvational issue, right? It says that's how we're saved. This is the science of salvation. It's the grace that saves us. And so it's something that is extremely important to understand. Interestingly enough, we just have to keep in mind the connection between the two kinds of grace. Uh, The common grace that we talked about earlier, that's uh, common to everyone, actually paves the way for us to come to the saving grace. It's when we realize God's kindness, even to the unthankful and to the evil, that actually paves the way and prepares the heart to appreciate the saving grace and respond to that. And so there is a connection there. They're not totally uh, unrelated. But what is this grace exactly? What is this saving grace? We talk about it, like I said, and and people come up with these acronyms, God's riches at Christ's expense, uh, unmerited favor. But what is it? What is it practically? What does it mean? Does the Bible tell us? That's what I want to spend some time looking at. 2 Corinthians 12.9 is a good place that actually gives us a very practical definition for grace. 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul here is uh, recounting this experience with Christ. He prayed about this problem, right? He had this problem, he prayed about it three times, and this is what he says. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So according to this verse, we find a very easy definition for grace. How did Paul understand Christ when Christ told him, listen, my grace is sufficient for you? What did Paul understand? He understood that he would receive strength and power. Specifically, it is the power of Christ. I made it easy for you, right? I highlighted it. Uh, but that's one definition of grace. When God's grace is exercised or bestowed upon someone, actually means strength. It means power. Okay, that's something a little bit more practical that we can understand about grace. Because many times, the idea of grace in a lot of people's minds, is really something that exists in God's mind, or it's, it's an attitude on God's behalf. It's how God treats us in a way that we don't deserve. So it's like grace is, this, is the way God is. But we need to understand, grace is actually a practical, real thing that God gives to us, bestows, bestows upon us. It's not just an attitude that God has. There is something real. And Paul here was going to receive power, specifically the power Of Christ. So grace means strength. Grace is power. And this power is not just any kind of power. We want to again define that a little bit more specifically. Uh, Of course, in this case, it was power to uh, help Paul to overcome that burden or that trial that he was having, that he was going through. But it is more than just power or strength. It's not just here's some strength to do something, it's not like what Samson had. You know, there is, it's, it's a little bit more uh, specific. Romans 1 gives us that uh, specific aspect a little bit more. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Someone might say, well, the word grace is not in that verse. What's that have to do with our study? Well, we'll see that in a minute. But notice here that God's power is exercised specifically for the purpose of salvation. So it is... Unto salvation, God's power is a saving power. So it's not just a power or strength in this world to do something extraordinary. It's not even just to go through a particular trial or to have a particular you know have patience to endure, it is saving in its nature. And we already saw that God's grace is power. So we want to see is this really what grace is about? And we find that yes, in Titus two eleven it tells us for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all. Men. So the gospel of God, or the gospel of Christ, is God's power unto salvation, God's grace that brings salvation appear to all men. So you see the connection here? God's grace is really his saving power. It is power that he bestows upon us to enable us to be saved or to give us salvation. I want to look at that again, like I said, a bit more in detail. Through faith, We have access to this saving power. That's what grace is. So it's not just a concept. It's not just an idea. It's power. It's very powerful. And we need to, as Christians, we need to realize that that's what we mean when we talk about grace, particularly the biblical definition for grace. And like I said, this is the one aspect we want to emphasize because we are saved by this grace. That's how we're saved. That's what saves us. So God gives us this saving power. What is it exactly are we talking about? we want to, again, look at that. uh, And we want to look at the source of this power. Where does this power actually come from? Of course, it comes from God. God bestows it. It's it's a gift, like Ephesians 2 told us. But do we have any more specific uh, explanations in the Scripture as to the source of this power? And the answer is yes. We have... In a number of places, Acts 1, 8 is one of them. <clears throat> Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts part of the earth. The disciples had to wait in Jerusalem. For read that in context. They had to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus told them, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power. And then he says, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. So why did they have to wait? We're going to look at that. And did they not have any power if Jesus was telling them that they were going to still receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon them? So the Holy Spirit here has to do with this power. But did the disciples have power before that time or not? Any thoughts? Yes, we have some nods and we have a lot. of Yes, they certainly did. Uh, a quick uh, check in the Gospels in Luke 10, 19, for example, will tell us that Jesus, when, uh, when the disciples were sent out and they came very happy, this is what he tells them. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So they had power. There is no question about it. But we're not just looking at any power, we have to remember, we, have to, we want to look at the particular power that saves. Saving, grace, or saving power, saving strength. This is what really matters to us. Uh, salvation, strength. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus told them in Acts that they had to wait. It says, "Tarry in Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from behind, then you will have that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why did they have to wait? He had given them power when they went out witnessing, they had power to heal the sick, to cast out demons. They were given all this power. And then Jesus tells them, listen, you need to wait in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Something interesting happening, right? Obviously, they were going to receive more powers there is some other level now that they were going to come to or advance to or there is a or a promotion not a promotion but there is another level that they were going to reach and they had to wait in Jerusalem for that so why did they have to wait in Jerusalem we want to ha- uh, see what we can figure out about that let's look at uh, john and uh, just keep in mind the reception of that power has to do with the reception of the Holy Spirit. It says you will receive this power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you, you're not going to get this advanced power. Even though you have already have this power that you used and it was demonstrated, but there's something else that is coming. And they did exactly what he said. They waited in Jerusalem. And of course, we know what happened a few days later was the event that we have in Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, where that promise that Jesus gave was fulfilled. So why why was there a wait? Why didn't something like the day of Pentecost happen while Jesus was on earth here with them? That would have been great, right? You know, but yeah, they had to wait and and Christ left and a few days later, it happened. Can we understand the mechanics of this wait and and a little bit more about this power? And how can that help us today? That's what we're really hoping to achieve. The reason why they had to wait is actually given in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. Here's what Jesus says. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so this gives us the answer. The reason why the Spirit was not yet given, at the time when Jesus spoke these words, was that Christ had not yet been glorified. So in other words, what Christ was telling his disciples, you need to wait until I go away and be glorified, then you will receive power after the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the way Christ point, uh, pictures the, the pouring out of the Spirit here, he gives us this picture that it is in abundance, right? It says, he that believes on me out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water not a creek huh not a little stream not uh, uh, you know we went down to walk by the river down here you know it look, the river bed is huge the water is only running in a, in a small part of it and you know we were wondering is that does the river actually fill up and 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 come to the full you know measure or the full level of where it is i don't know does it yeah, it does okay that's great well we, we, we're not here at this time of the year but that's kind of the picture you get when, when Jesus says, you know, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He wants to give you, give us a picture of abundance. That's the point here. Not even one river. He's saying rivers of living water. So there is coming. There is a spiritual blessing that is coming that Christ is trying to portray in this way. And then the author, John, says, look, I want to tell you something. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the giving of the spirits. And the giving of the spirit hadn't happened yet because something had to happen before that. Christ had to be glorified. As soon as Christ was glorified, then this promise was fulfilled of giving the Spirit in this abundant measure like rivers of living water. And we see a demonstration of that in the day of Pentecost. But this wait was because Christ had to go away and first be glorified. That's why the disciples were told to wait. So what does the glorification of Christ have to do with the giving of the Spirit? We need to look just briefly at what spirit means, because that's very much misunderstood these days. And as a result of that, we misunderstand the practical aspects of the saving grace that we're talking about. Because don't forget, this is what we're really talking about. We're not shifting topics here. We're still looking at saving grace and what it is. The source of the saving grace is the Holy Spirit. That's what Christ said. So we want to understand that a little bit more. What did Jesus say about the spirit? John 63 is a very good and clear definition where Jesus says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth or gives life. That's what quickeneth means. The flesh prof- profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Very familiar text, hopefully, to all of us. It's very important, very deep what Jesus said here. He basically said that the Spirit is life. And the words that He's speaking are not just sounds that He's making with His lips. They actually have in them, they are life-giving. And the reason they are life-giving or they are life is because the words are also spirit. So he links all those together. Spirit is life. And what Christ speaks, when he speaks, it's not just like when we speak our words. It actually can give life by the giving of this spirit. And this is the source actually of this saving grace. This life or this spirit. Now, the spirit that Christ was talking about there in John 7 could not be given until he himself was glorified. And keep in mind, now we just learned that spirit is life. Now, I ask you a question. Who is life? It would be the life of? Christ, because something had to happen to Christ himself. He had to be glorified before this spirit or this life could be given in this abundant measure. And that's what the disciples had to wait for. And so this is we're just building, you know, looking at the verses here. Something had to happen to Christ's person before this abundant outpouring of the spirit or of life could be given. Now, remember, this spirit is the source of this grace, which is saving by nature. In other words, what Christ is talking about is his life or his spirit is what brings us salvation. And this is what saving grace is. I'm just putting all that together. You with me so far? Yeah. We're going to look at some scriptures just to make sure. Okay, let's look at Galatians 4:6. It says here, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's what God gives us. That's what God sends us. That's what Jesus told his disciples to wait for. When we receive the spirit of his son, or in other words, we receive the life of the son. Now, the life of the son after glorification comes to us in a much more abundant measure. it's, It's portrayed as rivers of living water, which John says, listen, what he's talking about here didn't happen until Christ was glorified. It was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. And this is actually connected with grace. Well, who would have thought, right? We talk about grace all the time. And, and we talk about, you know, we also talk about the truth about God and under, a correct understanding of the Father and Son and the Spirit. Well, it has to do with grace. It has to do with, it's a very practical aspect. It's actually how we are saved. So, we want to keep that in mind, that this is the source of the saving grace, the Spirit and the life of the Son. And that is powerful stuff, by the way. It's powerful. That is Power now when we talk about grace in this way someone say well you know it sounds like you're saying there's something here after the after the glorification of christ that wasn't there before that's the impression we seem to be getting that's that's very true i'll ask you a question was there grace in the old testament the answer is yes of course there was you know, people, of course, were, uh, could receive salvation. God's power was manifested in, in great and marvelous ways. So there was grace. So, what are we, uh, and the source of the grace doesn't change. Obviously, it's God's Spirit was working. So, what's this about, you know, something that's coming that happens only after the glorification of Christ? See, we talked earlier about different measures of grace. There's different measures of common grace where God blesses everyone, some more, some less. There are different measures, but there's also different measures of saving grace as well. Let's look at how uh, this is portrayed in 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. Some of the prophets and prophecies indicated that something was still coming. 1 Peter 1.10, notice what it says. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Not sure if you ever stopped to think about this verse a little bit. It says here that the the burden and the interest of the prophets who prophesied that God used in the Old Testament, they were searching diligently and looking forward to something. What is it? The grace that should come to you. Who's Peter writing to? The church at the time. Christians who were living when? After. Christ went to heaven, right? After he has been glorified. And he's telling them, listen, don't you realize that in the Old Testament, all these prophets, all these people, they searched and looked diligently. And what they were looking for was the grace that was to come to you. Interesting, huh? So did the prophets have this same grace that came after? They had a measure, but not the fullness. And they actually looked forward to why? Because the fullness of it was dependent on Christ going and being glorified. Because that grace, we find, the, the source of it is really none other than the Spirit. And that Spirit is the very life of the Son. I'm just connecting all the dots. In other words, the, plain, uh, the prophets had plainly saw that the coming of the Messiah would usher in an abundance of grace. They looked forward to that. They anticipated that. They prophesied about that. They wrote it down. And Peter is using that to encourage the believers. He says, don't you realize these guys that lived in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to what you have, the grace that you now have. We're, the, we're in the same, we're on the same side, brothers and sisters. So that's not just for them. It's for us as well. This is what I want to remind us all of and, and encourage us, what Christ brought to us. It was uh." Level and a measure of grace that gr- that Christ brought and ushered in by what He accomplished on earth and, and going up to heaven as a man, a measure and a level of grace that had not been seen before. That's what Christ accomplished for us. Familiar verses that spell that out, but I want to pinpoint this particular aspect of grace. John one fourteen. We all know it. We could recite it off by heart, right? We know it. The Word was fl- made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father. This is the part I want to focus on now. Full of what? Grace and truth. That's the grace that was to come. That's the grace that the prophets talked about, prophesied and searched diligently for that was to come. Christ ushered that in. And then it was made available to everyone else after he went to heaven as a man and was glorified. That's why he told the disciples, listen, you need to just... Wait just a little bit in Jerusalem. In a few days, something is going to happen that will enable you to now receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Notice how John, now keep in mind, the Gospel of John is written not while Christ was on earth, correct? It was written after all these things had happened. So he's, he's recording and he, uh, he's already received this fullness of grace and, and all that. He's experienced Pentecost and all of that. And that's what, that's what he's recording here. Notice what he says. In the, just a couple of verses later. Verse 16 and 17. Same chapter. says, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Wow. If you want to just pause here and think about that. What is he really saying? He's saying when, when the Son of God came, this begotten Son of God. And to describe Him, He says He is full of grace and truth. In other words, there is no one like Him, right? There is no one else that you can describe in this way, full of grace and truth. The very first time we saw a human being full of grace and truth is when the Son of God came. And then He says, of His fullness have all we received and grace for grace, or grace to match grace. We're not, we're not receiving less, we're not receiving a likeness, we're not receiving a resemblance, we're receiving his fullness and grace to match grace. The same grace that the Son of God had and demonstrated on earth is available to us after he went back to heaven and was glorified. And it's available to us, hopefully you understand what we mean now by grace. It is his very own life. And that is how we are actually saved. We need to keep all the points we're finding uh, together. You with me so far? And then he says something interesting. Verse seventeen. He says, "For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ." What's he doing here? He's he's, setting, he's, he's, he's offering a condition of existence or a condition of events, and then something that is. So much better or so much superior. Isn't that right? He's contrasting two things here. He says, listen, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. The, gra- the law, you know the law everybody knows about the law? You're Jews. The law came by Moses, right? But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Very, very interesting point that he is making. That up until the time of Jesus Christ, the fullness of grace and truth had not been revealed. The law that God gave through Moses failed to give or bestow grace to the people. That's the point he's making. is that right? Because we saw that grace is power. That power is the spirit or the source of it is the spirit. And spirit means life. Correct? So the law that was given to Moses that all the people were to keep could not provide life. That's the point. He says, listen, the law was given by Moses. But I want to tell you something. Over here, we now have grace and truth. And that grace and truth did not come through Moses. It did not come through the law. It only came in one way. When Christ came as a man, he brought grace and truth. He brought the saving life that we need. The law is not going to save It's not going to save anyone. That's his point. This point is making it. We have a contrast. We have something so much better and so much more superior. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not saying that the law is bad. But the law does not save. It cannot give you grace that saves. It cannot give you this life. This is the point that he's making here. And so this is what Christ accomplished. Because this grace is none other than this glorified, risen and glorified life of the Son. The law that was given to Moses, what's it talking about here? I just want to clarify that so people don't misunderstand. Uh, Some people say, oh, that's the Ten Commandments. Some people say, oh, it's not the Ten Commandments. It's ceremonial law. You know, moral law or ceremonial law. The law that was given to Moses was a complete package of everything that was delivered from Mount Sinai. And not just with God's audible voice. Yes, he spoke Ten Commandments. But the entire system that was instituted at Sinai was a system of law. It was not a system of grace. That's the point that's being made here. It's it's a contrast that's being, that's, that's being presented. Some people misunderstand this verse and they say, well, you know, uh, grace and truth, uh, sorry, the law is given by Moses, uh, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, uh, but this grace and truth was there along at the same time. Now, don't get me wrong, there was grace in the Old Testament. This is not what this verse is talking about. This verse is basically showing you that the coming of Christ brought something superior to what God had given through Moses. To what God had given through all the Old Testament prophets. To what God had revealed to mankind through all the history of man up until that point. All that fades almost into insignificance in comparison to what Christ brought. That's his point. And then he says, well before that he's saying, and we of this fullness we've received and grace for grace. He's trying to help us appreciate that we have something now that is so amazing that we really, it needs to be spelled out for us so that we can get it. And hopefully tonight, that's what we're trying to do so we can realize this amazing thing that we have, this abounding grace of God, what it really practically means for us. Now, uh, in in Hebrews, we have that spelled out just to to emphasize this point and and this understanding of the verse the author uh, to the hebrews says basically the same thing in different words here's what he says hebrews 7 and verse 19 it says for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto god i want to ask you a question what was this better hope that he's talking about here the law failed to do something what did the law fail to do According to this verse. It failed to make perfect. But something else did. This better hope. That's the point. The implication here. The law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. Did what? Did make perfect. That's the point he's making here. So he's contrasting something that is, is good and beneficial called the law. But it is insufficient. It is lacking. In that it cannot make perfect. But there is this better hope that does make perfect. He's talking about... Just what John said, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And this grace and truth is what enables us to be made perfect and saved. They're all linked. You, you see the point here. And so, this is what the emphasis that John is trying to place uh, on this particular aspect. Uh, <clears throat> and this is why he says, what he says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Notice not only did the Old Testament uh, prophets look forward to that, but I I, I find this verse very interesting in this context as well. Let's look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 12. Notice what it says, speaking again about the prophets uh, of old. says unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into saying listen these Old Testament prophets they, they they were ministering something that now you are receiving and what it is is this preaching of the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost or with power or with this grace and he's saying the Holy Ghost was sent down from heaven he's saying this is so amazing that even the angels desire to look into that. Interesting right? Even the angels in heaven were looking forward to the time when these prophecies will be fulfilled. Do you realize that? Of the time when this gospel will be preached with this Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. When did the Holy Spirit come down from heaven, or was sent down from heaven to assist and enable the preaching of the gospel with power on the day of Pentecost? What had to happen before it could be sent? Jesus had to go away and be glorified. Man, that sounds like a very important event now, huh? It's like the turning point, the before and the after. We're living in the after. We're not living in the before, by the way. That's news flash, right? We're living in the after are we really living the after? That's the quest. that's the challenge. Or are we living like the before? How is it with you and how is it with me? Because brothers and sisters, we have available to us what all these Old Testament people looked forward to. You know many times we read, I ask each one now, but we all have our favorite Bible characters and many of them are probably Old Testament characters. Not that that's bad or anything like that. It's not like you can only have New Testament ones. Okay, ultimately, we all love older, Because we have a lot more details about them, more generally. That's why we, we like them. Or we can relate to them. Daniel and Joseph and others, are high up on that list, right? And we sometimes think, man, we should live in those days or living in his time or, or even be like them. They were looking forward to what you and I have. You realize that? We have something they did not have. Because of what Jesus did in coming as a man, going to heaven as a man, and being glorified. And this is what uh, what Peter is talking about. he says, listen even the angels like desire to look into this stuff. Even the angels, are we giving the angels something to to enjoy looking at or they're like man, these guys are not even up to Old Testament standards? that's That's a challenge, right, brothers and sisters? Are we really New Testament Christians living with the realization and making use of what is available to us as a result of what Christ accomplished? Or are we still living like he is yet to come in the future? Someone will say, well brother, you know, there's the latter rain, you know? Yeah, well, the latter rain, you know? It's, it's, it's like, give me an excuse for us. We're waiting for something more to happen. You know, we're, we're, we're okay. Brothers, and sisters, you know, I'll tell you something. The latter rain, it's for those who have the early rain. The early rain. You want to know what the early rain looks like? Pentecost. That's what it looks like. Have you seen a Pentecost lately? How about this one? Have you experienced a Pentecost lately? That's what Christ. Get, that's what Christ desires for us to have. That's why He went to all this trouble so that we can have this overabundance of the Spirit or this life, His very own life. And that's what this power is all about. The preaching of the gospel with the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice how this is described. It links all the things we found so far. Acts 4:33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They had great power. This is how they gave the witness. Why? Great grace was upon them all. That's saving, that's the power, that's grace as the power and that power saves. They were preaching the gospel. The gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And part of that message is that you'd say to people, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's what we're talking about. Christ brought to us the advanced and ultimate measure of that grace. You wanna know something about the latter end? Eh? God's not God is not God doesn't have any more to give than has already been given as a result of what Christ accomplished and was being poured out. What has happened is God's people somehow have missed it or lost sight of it. And when we realize what we already have in Christ, then through that faith that gift will, or that promise will be realized for us. We can actually make use of what is already there. God doesn't have a store of grace that he saved just for the last days. You realize that? It's all been accomplished after Christ. Every blessing that we have is already ours in Christ. The question is, why don't we grasp a hold of it? When God's people realize what we have available and grasp a hold of it, then we will manifest a power that is said, or that is described as latter rain power. God will be like, finally, Heaven and the angels will be like, finally. But we need to understand what we have available that we can grasp a hold of it by faith. All the, all the storehouse of heaven's blessing has been unlocked since Christ has gone to heaven as a man and was glorified. You realize that? And so, this idea of, oh, we'll wait till God unlocks that, you know, that last store of, of latter rain, and He knows when He's going to do it. We're just waiting for Him. You know, put the ball in his court. We're just hanging tight and waiting for him. Th- that, I think, really helps us delay things even further and further and further. God is not looking for people who are just waiting for the right time and then he unlocks it. God is looking for people who realize and understand what we have in Christ and claim it by faith. That's what saving grace is all about. That's what that power is all about. Okay. Uh, we're living in this... Fulfilled promise. Ephesians 3 2. Notice what Paul says here. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has given me to you words, the dispensation of grace. What does dispensation mean? You can answer, it's okay, don't worry, you, you can, if you know the answer, of course, if, or if you have any suggestion. What does dispensation mean? Here's, here's a verse you read, someone says, what's this mean, brother, sister? Well, what's it mean? Dispensation of grace, what's that? Paul is saying, listen, if you've even heard, have you heard about it? Have you heard about the dispensation, of, we're living in it, the dispensation of grace, what is it? How would you define dispensation? Era, okay, many times we talk about dispensation as era, that's true, or a time period, and that's true because there is, we're living in this time period when, uh, called the dispensation of grace. Dispensation is also uh, when you dispense something, right? When you give. Outpouring. Okay, thank you. You know, you go to this dispensary and they dispense something, they give something. So what the idea Paul is saying here, there's this dispensa- dispensation of grace or outpouring of grace. We're living in the time or in the period of this outpouring of grace. And it's being outpoured in, in, with no holds, with no, ga- with no stops fully dispensed like rivers of living water and a river is flowing it's not stagnant it's not a lake it's not a pool it's it's a river that's flowing and just keeps more and more and more is coming that's the idea and he's telling them listen if you've heard of this dispensation of the grace of God where God is basically dishing out grace unstoppable grace That's the the picture he's trying to give. If you've heard about it, which is given to me, he's a minister, he's a preacher of the gospel, to you words, for you, this is for you. So this is my question to you. Have you heard about this dispensation of grace? Do you know about it? Are you aware of, of, of where we are in time and what's going on and what God has in store for us? He wants to dispense grace. These rivers of living water. Grace was never ever poured out in this way before. You realize that? Not in this measure. That's what John had said earlier. And there is a purpose for this grace. It's a saving grace, but it's also a power that enables us to do something. Notice what it says, Romans 1, 3 uh, down to 5. It says, Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So here's another purpose for grace. It's power, it's saving power, but it also enables us to obey. Grace is given for apostleship and for obedience to the faith. Now, when we say this, this is an aspect where we maybe need to clarify some things, because... (coughs) say, yes, well, grace is power, you know, this is where, and I go and I I now obey the commandments by grace, by God's grace. Many times we use that terminology, right? And uh, almost to the point where I think many times it's actually misused or even uh, abused because it becomes a cliche. Becomes, oh yes, by by grace, by grace, by grace. And and, and we stop really uh, thinking about what it actually means. And many times uh, we look at obedience as something that we have to do as a response to all these great things that God has done for us in Christ and saving us and all that. So let's let's obey, you know, and, and, and we try. God's grace here, if we understand it biblically, I put it to you that it is a totally new way to obey. It is obedience that is actually contained in the life of Christ. God does not ask you to go out and reproduce what Christ accomplished. Christ asks, uh, God asks you, to receive what Christ has accomplished in his life. His life is a completely obedient, victorious life. When you receive this grace, you're not just receiving some strength or some help to go and try and keep the commandments. Many times this is what it is. Here is some strength. Come on, you can do it now. I've given you some strength. No excuse now. Come on. This is many times what we think of as grace, right? If we're honest. If, you, if, if we realize, no, Christ has given us the life of... Uh, yeah, Christ has given us his own life, his own spirit. In his life is the complete obedient life to all of God's requirements. It's a perfect life. It's a righteous life. All of a sudden, it's not like you have to go out and perform. All you have to do is allow this life to manifest in your being. That's the that's new way to obey. It's what grace is. I'm saying it's new because many times we misunderstand it. I think you can understand where I'm coming from. Isn't that right? I've, been, I've, I've noticed that in my over the years in discussing things with, with, with Christians, with brothers and sisters, many times we, we view God's grace as an assisting power. It's like, you know, uh, the overdrive. You're trying, you're failing. Here's God gives you some overdrive. There's some extra power. Come on now, you can do it. It totally misses out on the truth that, listen, we have the complete package in the life of the Son. That's what grace is also all about. All the victories that Christ accomplished as a man, all the uh, overcoming temptation and trial and all these things, he accomplished all that and that became a part of his life, that became part of his experience. And then he goes to heaven as a man with all these accomplishments. And then he is glorified as a man. And then he gives to us this spirit or this life. This is why the people beforehand did not have access to it because Christ had not yet lived it. He hadn't lived it. He hadn't been glorified. And glorified means he took it to heaven. And God officially and publicly before the whole universe accepted it glorified it and magnified it and I put my stamp of approval on that here is for the first time in history here is a human being that has satisfied god's requirements here is a human being that actually pleased god perfectly it had never happened before. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, as the second Adam, he says, Okay, now the father accepted his life. The son says, Okay, now I'm going to share this life, this accepted life, this perfect life, this perfectly righteous life. I'm going to pour it out on all my believing disciples. They're waiting for this event. Um, this is in heaven. They're waiting for me down there in Jerusalem. I told them to wait. They're waiting for this moment. As soon as that happened in heaven, Pentecost happened on earth. So, when Pentecost occurred on earth, that immediately tells you that at the same time, the glorification of Christ had just occurred in heaven. And he was glorified as a man. That's not a minor point. This is a very major point. As a man, as a victorious man. And that life now is shared with us. This is why God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's what the spirit of the son is. It's to enable you to obey the obedience of the son. You have that. You don't, we don't have a copycat religion where Jesus do it. Okay, you go and do the try and copy that. Many times this is what we have, a very difficult trying Christian experience where we try and reproduce what Christ has already accomplished. Where does God ask you to do that? God asks you to receive what Christ accomplished because nobody could do it that Christ came and did it. He didn't come and say, see, I did it, now your turn. No, no, no. He did it. He says, I did this for you. I'm giving this to you. Big difference, right? You see the difference? That's why we believe in righteousness by faith, by receiving his righteous life. That's how we have righteousness by faith. And the Bible term for that victorious, empowering, saving life is grace. We're saved by grace. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Romans 5, 21, notice that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The antidote for sin and death is grace and life. Grace is life. That's how we are actually saved. It's the righteousness of Christ. That's the only antidote for sin. Notice what it says in in verse 10, Romans 5 as well. Notice what it says in verse 10. Very, very powerful point here, linking those two aspects again together. That saving grace is really life, and it's none other than the life of the Son. It says, For, if when we are enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, this is not something we use very often or refer to very often. But if I were to ask you, maybe before we looked at this verse, how are we saved? We'll say, oh, by grace, brother. Right? We're saved by grace. And here it says we're saved by his life. That tells you straight away that grace can only be his life. That's what it is. We talk about unmerited favor and, and, and God's riches and good, great, wonderful, powerful definitions. But somehow they seem to miss out on, hold on, it's the life of Christ? Grace is the life of Christ. Not any life, by the way. It is the life of Christ with his experience as a man, with everything that he obtained as a man that is now glorified and accepted by heaven. That life. He that hath the Son hath life or has salvation, right? Jesus is the only way we can have that eternal life or that salvation. Romans 5.17, notice what it says. As well. For if by one man's offense. That's Adam of course. Death reigned by one. Much more they which receive abundance of grace. And of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Here's the challenge. Have you received abundance of grace? Have I received abundance of grace? Have we really received? You know it's. it's, it's very good that Christians like this say, yes, amen, brother. Yes, brother. But have we really, really received it, you know, realistically in your life? You don't have to answer me, but I want you to think, you know, have we received this abundance of grace? Hopefully tonight we've seen a little bit, uh, you know, we've seen it from another perspective, hopefully from a pre- fresh perspective where we can appreciate it and say, wow, we really have all of that. You know, is this really what it's all about? Have we really received it? The people in the Old Testament were looking forward to this abundance of grace, brothers and sisters. Are we still looking forward to it as well, or or we have it? It's not coming. Forget the latter. The latter ain't just... You know, don't tell me about the latter rain. The abundance of grace came as a result of the gift of Christ. I'm not trying to downgrade the latter rain. Don't get me wrong. I think I mentioned already a little bit about it. But I'm trying to tell you, we have something so amazing right now. We already have that available to us. Do we make use of it or not? Paul is contrasting that. He says, listen, how much more those which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How is it with you? And how is it with me? You know, we're living at a time that is so privileged, this dispensation of grace. Many times, I, I honestly don't think we realize what we've got. Uh, we don't. If we did, things would be very different. Honestly. Things would be very different if we really realized what we've got. I'll give you a few examples of that. You don't have to put your hands up, but how many times have you wished that you lived in the Old Testament time? I have, I'll be quite honest, because yes, I'll tell you why, you know, especially growing up and you read about the Red Sea parting, wow, man, I would have loved to have been there with the cloud and the pillar of fire, where all the different miracles are one, the walls of Jericho coming down, it's like, you know, all these manifestations of God's power, and then we go to church every week here, and we sing these hymns, and we don't see Red Seas crossing, we don't see a pillar of fire, man, I wish I had lived in the Old Testament, have you ever thought like that? You don't have to say yes. But I certainly have, and I know a lot of people do. And it's a natural, uh, it's almost a natural uh, response to how we read and what we see and and what we're seeing around us. It's really a statement of what we are not seeing. That's really many times what it is. And uh, it really makes me wonder, why do we wish to be living at a time when the people who lived at that time wish they were living in our time? That's what they were looking forward to. You realize? You remember when Jesus was on earth and he told them, don't you know that there are many prophets and righteous men and many people who wished to see the things that you see and to hear the things that, they, that you hear? That's when Christ was on earth. His disciples, in other words, he's telling his disciples, listen, you have the privilege that people of all, holy people, righteous people, people that you look up to, they wished they had, but they didn't have. You have it. And I'm here tonight to tell you The same thing. We have, brothers and sisters, something that these people that we look up to in the Old Testament, and I'm not trying to put them down. They are fantastic. If we were like them, that would be good. But we have something even more that they themselves also looked forward to. So that's why I'm asking, like Paul asks, have you heard of this dispensation of grace? Have you heard about it? And then obviously, the next question, have you experienced it? Some people haven't even heard about it. To some people, they, they, they think it's all the same. We just have to try and, and like they tried in the Old Testament, we tried. It's like we don't realize what we have available in Christ. Hopefully, like I said, tonight we are getting a little bit of a fresh perspective. <clears throat> so grace is not simply God looking at us differently or God treating us in a way that we don't deserve. Grace is not just something that exists on God's part. It's not that he's nice to us when we don't deserve to be uh, treated that way or, or that he, he has this nice attitude towards us. That, that is a very, very big misunderstanding of grace. Yes, God is like that. There's no question about that, but that's not the end of the story. God does not actually only want to look at us differently. God wants to make us different. He wants to transform us. The way he's going to transform us is his grace. This grace... The active ingredient of this grace, what it is practically, is the life of His Son. That's why the Bible says, God sends forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And this gift of grace, this grace is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we uh, have when we keep the law or go to church on Sabbath or when we're baptized as, as members of the church. We don't earn that. It comes to us only as a result of faith. It is a gift of God. genuine faith. Uh, our last text is 2nd Timothy 1 8 to 10. I think it summarizes very well what we, we have found so far. Notice what it says. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and Amen. grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul is encouraging Timothy, young Timothy, preacher, says, listen, don't be ashamed of the testimony, don't worry, trials, afflictions, and then this is how he encourages him. He says, God has already saved us. And he's basing that statement, of course, on what Christ has accomplished. He called us with this holy calling, And it's according to his own purpose and grace. Now, where was this grace? It says, which was given us in Christ Jesus. When? Before the world began. But what did we find in our study tonight? What about the glorification of Christ? There was, you know, the glorification of Christ in that point. What's Paul saying here? Well, the next verse actually explains it. He says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God's purpose and grace from eternity was housed or was contained or was in Christ. And it remained in Christ for all these ages in Old Testament, all the prophecies were given that one day Christ would come. And when he would come, he would reveal and manifest the saving grace, which is God's intent and purpose. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, This is now ours. What God had placed in Christ all the way from the beginning before the foundation, what God intended, now it's revealed, it is now here. And because it is now here, it's made manifest by the appearing of our Lord Jesus, whom, when he appeared, was full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we all received and grace for grace. This is what he's encouraging Mm -hmm. him with. And he's saying, when he did all that, when he appeared, he abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So now, basically, he's telling Timothy, look, Timothy, don't worry. You have no excuse to worry about anything. That grace is now here. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, with the same thing Paul encouraged Timothy with. All this is now manifest. It is here. It is available to us. God doesn't have a hidden measure of grace in Christ that is still to be poured out. It's revealed in what Christ has accomplished. So... My challenge to you tonight is to take a hold and grasp a hold of this saving grace. Hopefully now, grace uh, means something a little bit more practical, a little bit more uh, helpful and encouraging in our Christian walk. And so let us grasp a hold of it by faith, this, this grace, the this saving life of the Son of God. That's what it really is all about. And hopefully when we have now a discussion or a question, someone asks us about grace, what do you guys mean by this grace you're talking about all the time? Maybe now we can give them a little bit more of a, of a biblical definition, practical one, of what this grace is all about. Let us not let Christ's accomplishment and death in our behalf be in vain. He went to all this trouble. To give us all of this and we sit here living as if we're still waiting for it to happen let's not do that huh let us grasp hold of it by faith that's my challenge that's my appeal if you are blessed by this message please share it with others be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes your prayers and support are appreciated may god richly bless you through his son jesus